You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, and this is taken from the Common English Bible. Joshua said to them, Cross over into the middle of the Jordan, up to the Lord your God's chest. Each of you lift up a stone on his shoulder to match the number of the tribes of the Israelites. This will be a symbol among you. In the future, your children may ask, Why do these stones, What do these stones mean to you? Then you will tell them that the water of the Jordan was cut off before the Lord's covenant chest. When it crossed over the Jordan, the water of the Jordan was cut off. These stones will be an enduring memorial for the Israelites. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What's this? It's a journal, so you can write to your son. What do I write? Tell him who you are, what you believe in, and tell him you love him. Dear Jordan, the moment I met your mother, I knew she was the one. He is not exactly my type. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. And after some convincing, she fell for me too. I think you are beautiful. When you get what you I want to see more of your city. I don't want to see more of your city. I'll take your state, your zip code. Real love takes sacrifice. We can make this work. To our lives, and you were a blessing. How come you barely ever talk about him? I think about him all the time. Always be courageous in everything you do, but never be afraid to cry. I was just thinking that if you need sex just to help you get through stop, it. Stop, 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 stop. Then I don't want another woman. And I hope you don't expect me to extend that same offer because you better keep that locked up. <laughs> Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. A Journal for Jordan is fundamentally a story about a family. 
It's the story about Dana, the young woman you saw, who's living in New York City, who falls in love with Charles, a soldier and a sergeant who is extremely committed to the men and the women he oversees. And it's also a story about their son, Jordan. When Charles gets deployed to Iraq, shortly before Jordan is born, Dana gives him a journal. You saw that scene in the trailer. It's a journal for fathers to write to their sons. And he asks, well, what do I write? And you heard what she said. Tell him who you are and what you believe in. Tell him that you love him. She invites Charles to tell their son the story of who he is. Dana writes to Jordan, too, on her computer, and at one point in the movie she writes, if you're reading this, it means we made it through the sorrowful years somehow, and that you're old enough to understand all that I'm about to tell you. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to tell you that Charles dies while serving in Iraq, and so Jordan grows up without really knowing his dad. But once he reaches a certain age, his mom shares this journal with him, and I assume shares what she wrote on her computer as well. And the entire movie is this story unfolding of Dana and Charles, and how that story shapes who Jordan is. Now the details of this particular story are unique to Dana and Charles and Jordan, but we all have these kinds of formative stories in our lives. Stories that have shaped the core of who we are because of something that happened to our parents or something that our grandparents or our great-grandparents chose to do. We all have these stories of how we've been shaped by a life lesson or support that we've, been, we've received from a mentor or maybe by something that we experienced or something our community experienced. We've all been shaped by the stories of other people. And sometimes our stories are beautiful, and sometimes they're painful, and sometimes our stories are filled with courage, and sometimes other parts are filled with chaos. So many of the movies remind us we can't change the past, we can't change what we've been through, but we do have the power to choose how we will move forward. And we get to choose how our story is told. We get to choose which stories matter to us. There's power in remembering what we've overcome. There's power in remembering that our story is part of something larger than ourselves, and that, in fact, our story is intrinsically linked to the stories of other people. As people of faith, our tradition is full of stories. We are people of stories. Now, the Bible has plenty of advice and rules and lists of genealogies and building materials and all that kind of good stuff, but most of the Bible is filled with stories. And what I mean by that is narratives, histories, parables, accounts of what happened and who was there and how it all unfolded and then why it matters. The scripture we heard this morning points to one of these stories, one of these formative foundational stories for us as people of faith. The Israelites were traveling in the wilderness after Moses had died. Joshua was their new leader. People were, you know, they were excited about Joshua, but Moses was big shoes to fill. And Joshua hears God say, I want you to cross the Jordan River, which is a seemingly impossible task. The Jordan River is massive. 
At this time of year, this season, it probably would have been overflowing its banks. There was no way that they were going to get a whole caravan of people, thousands of people with their children and their livestock and all of their earthly possessions across this massive river. There were no bridges. There were no tunnels. They didn't have boats. And yet, what's recorded in Scripture is an amazing parting of the waters. No one so much as got a foot wet as long as the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the holy box that housed the Ten Commandments and the two tablets, as long as they stood in the middle of the river, the waters remained at bay. It was a miracle. It also harkens back to the parting of the Red Sea. Very similar kind of story. And for someone who experienced a moment like that, I think it would have been life-altering. You don't forget that kind of moment. When you think there's no way to get across the sea and suddenly the waters part, you don't forget that kind of moment. And perhaps for that reason, God tells Joshua, pick out 12 strong people to pick out 12 large stones. Carry them from the middle of the river, this place that should have been covered in the water, carry them to the side, stack them in a giant pile, And in the future, when people ask, what do these stones mean, you can tell them this story. You can tell them how it seemed like there was no way to get across, and God made a way. You can tell them about the miraculous power of God. This was a society where stories were passed down orally by the telling. And so creating this stack, this monument, was sort of like the equivalent of writing down a journal. It was the equivalent of writing down the story so that people for generations afterwards would have a mark to remind them of what God had done. There's power in the stories that we tell. There's power in the stories that we claim as part of our identity, as part of who we are. So this past week, Joel and I, my husband Joel, and I participated in an extensive home study process um, as part of adoption the adoption process. Most of you know we adopted our daughter back in 2019, and we started the paperwork for a second adoption in early 2020, if you can believe it. And after numerous delays, some of which were caused by COVID, we finally now have reached the stage of having our second home study. And a home study one of the things they do is they assess the safety of your house. Do you have carbon monoxide detectors in all the right places? Uh, thank you, trustees. We're well covered with the carbon monoxide detectors. And then beyond the safety stuff, it's a story of us as a family. And so the adoption worker asked us questions like, well, how did you two meet? And how long have you been married? And what do you guys like to do for fun? And why are you pursuing adoption? And What lessons or values do you hope to pass on to children? And then they also ask things like, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever had a family member who's arrested? And they go out far. It's not just an immediate family member. It's it's an uncle or a niece or an in-law. Okay, if that happened, tell us about that. And it's a lot of questions that you get asked in this process. And some of them are kind of funny, uh, at least for us, and some of them are very serious But stories are critical in the adoption process. And I don't just mean the stories that we tell as we're uh, writing up our home study. I mean that Maxine, my daughter, uh, and any future child we adopt, they're going to grow up and they're going to have questions 
about birth moms and birth dads and how everything unfolded and what it all means. So when Maxine was first placed with us, we did get a lot of questions about Maxine's birth family and some comments with assumptions about what their story might be or might look like. But we didn't answer most of those questions when people asked us because the truth is that's not our story to tell. That's not my story to tell. It's Maxine's story. And I'm not going to tell everybody everything about her story before she gets to know it. And obviously she's only two, so there's only so much she can know, right? A two-year-old can't know all of the details of everything that's ever happened uh, simply by virtue of their age. But it's kind of like how Jordan's mom in the movie didn't present the whole journal to Jordan at age one. She waited until he was a little bit older and was able to understand a little bit better before she said, hey, you need to know this is what your dad passed on to you. For us in the adoption process, openness is also really important. And that's, that's kind of adoption lingo, so you may not know what that means. That means continued contact with her birth mom and her birth dad uh, in the hopes that she'll get to know them as she grows up. And I can't pretend to know what that's going to look like in five years or in ten years. Uh, but we want her to know her story. We want her to know where she comes from. We wanted her to know how things unfolded and in the midst of that, who she is, who she chooses to be. And I think it's not something that's unique to adoption. I think every kid, every person wants to know their story about who they are and why it matters. How did I get here? Who was involved? How do I figure out what it all means and what do I do next? Some of us already know our stories. We already know who we are. And then our challenge becomes reminding ourselves of who God is calling us to be, who we are at our absolute best, who we want to be, who God is currently preparing us to be. Because sometimes we lose sight of that in our day-to-day -day lives. And so when we have physical markers like the journal that gets passed on to Jordan, or like those stones that get stacked on the side of the Jordan River that God parted, these things can help us remember and claim the larger story that God has placed on our lives, the larger narrative of our connection with God and with our larger spiritual story. And sometimes that story that we need to be reminded of most is that story beyond ourselves. I think that's why we're attracted to the idea of grand architecture and monuments. That's why we love coming into places like sanctuaries, at least I do, because it reminds us that we're part of something larger. We're part of something holy and awe-inspiring and something pretty amazing. None of us in this space could have built the sanctuary with our own two hands, and we come in here and we marvel that spaces like this exist. Cathedrals in Europe are even a more grand example of that kind of thing. We love that feeling, at least I love that feeling, of being reminded that I'm connected to something far bigger than myself. And as people of faith, our story is always connected to something larger. We're people of a larger story. And so we may struggle and we may experience pain and loss and heartbreak. All of that might be part of our story. We may have moments of courage or brilliance or great accomplishment 
But as people of faith, these stories do not exist in isolation. Our best moments, our worst moments, we're never alone. We're never alone because we belong to a God who parted the Jordan River and made a way where it seemed like there way. After having already parted the Red Sea and bringing the Israelites out again and again and again, And even more than that, as Christians, our story is centered around Jesus. God, God's son, God in human flesh, who was born into poverty, who was baptized in the Jordan River, that same river that God had parted and made a way where it seemed like there was no way. Jesus, a teacher, a proclaimer of justice, a healer, somebody who made it seem like hope was possible. Hope is real. And whatever stories we may claim for ourselves and for our lives, for those of us who are Christians, this is the central narrative. Jesus, who told us that the two most important things in this life are to love God and love other people. Jesus, who was willing to die for what he believed. Jesus, who God raised from the dead, and Jesus, who proclaimed a kingdom that was not of this world, that was one of peace and of justice and possibility. Jesus, who invites us to join him in that kind of work. That's the kind of story I want to be part of retelling. Isn't it the kind of story you want to be part of? This is an amazing story. It's a story of redemption and hope and new beginnings despite suffering and betrayal and loss. Kick all that stuff to the curb because God's story of hope is more powerful and we get to claim that for ourselves and for our life. And our stories are part of that larger narrative. Our stories are framed by and given meaning by God's larger story. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas who, by the way, used to teach at Duke Divinity School. We haven't heard enough about Duke, I don't think, since Rick retired. Uh, He said that when we stop telling stories, we lose our meaning. We lose who we are when we don't tell stories. And when I use the word stories, you understand, I mean histories, I mean narratives, I mean parables, I mean all of it. Factual accounts, what happened, the people, the places, the things, all of that is our story. And he said... Our story is that God not only raised Jesus from the dead, but God raised the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and God continues to raise things and people from the dead. And if God can do it for Jesus, God can do it for us. New life and resurrection are always possible. That's our story. That's the big picture. And so then within that framework, we experience failures that are worth remembering, And we experience pain and loss that we need to honor. And we experience victories that we need to celebrate. But it's all in that larger framework of God's story. Because we're people who remember. We're people who tell the story. And so as we come together here, we're claiming this story of Jesus. We're claiming it as our own. And also, we're claiming our individual stories, full of whatever mess and chaos and beauty and triumph they may contain. And I want to ask you this morning, what are those stories in your life, in your family, that you love to tell? What are those stories you don't want to lose? What are those stories that you maybe haven't told for a long time or 
maybe you've never told, that really are worth sharing with somebody? What are those stories that matter the most to you? Why do they matter? How do these stories shape who you are and why you are the way you are? I want to invite you to consider writing down some of these stories. And I get that that feels like a massive undertaking, perhaps, but this is the moment to do it. This is a time to do that. And if writing isn't your thing, maybe somebody can set you up with a video camera and you can share some stories that way. I know my grandma was always resistant to sharing stories. She loved to tell stories, but anytime she thought they were being recorded, she thought, oh, I don't know if this is worth recording. But I can guarantee you every story she told was worth recording, and I wish I had it recorded. And I know that that's true for each one of you. There's somebody somewhere who needs to hear your story. And if you haven't recorded it, you need to. You need to share those stories, particularly if you have kids or grandkids, if you're a teacher, if you're a mentor, uh, if you've signed up to be a Bible buddy. Somebody somewhere needs to hear what you've been through and what you've experienced. And it's okay if there are tough spots. We all have tough spots. And yet there's something redemptive in the telling of the story. Perhaps you have a parent or a grandparent who loves to tell stories. Maybe this is your opportunity to say to them, I'd love it if you wrote that down. Will you let me record you on video sharing this story? Tell me again that story that you love to tell. May we never forget that we are people shaped by generations of others' stories. From stones placed on a riverbank to waters poured out in baptism, our lives are defined by these stories that matter to us. So may we reclaim God's story this morning. May we claim that story of hope and redemption. May we claim our own unique story as well, with the beauty and those low moments all together as it is. It's our story, and it's worth telling. May we allow ourselves to be shaped and to be moved and transformed by the stories that we choose to claim from others and from our God. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.